If you are visiting with us, um, we have been working our way through the Ten Commandments. And uh, we are this morning at the Ninth Commandment, so the end is very much in sight. There we go. One of the things we have learned as we've been going through is there are four things that we can gather from each of these Ten Commandments. First, it tells us something about God. It reveals something about His character, who He is. Secondly, it instructs us. It instructs us on what God requires of us, what sins we are to avoid, and what uh, we are to do to love our neighbors and to love God, duties that are required. And third, as we hear that instruction, it confronts us. It confronts us with the fact that we have fallen short of God's glory, for we have broken every one of these commandments in some way. You see, each prohibition is a heading of many other sins, and in some way, we have fallen short of God's glory. But then, the fourth thing the commandments reveal to us is a promise the promise that Christ has fulfilled the law for us. And so that in Him, as we are united to Him in faith, we can glorify God by following these commandments as we follow Christ in faith. And we see these again in this ninth commandment that we are at this morning. So Exodus 20, verse 16, is our sermon text. Again, it is very short. God says to his people, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is God's word. Let us give it careful attention. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your spirit would speak to us. And in speaking to us, it would reveal to us Christ and our need for Him and His great love and mercy. Father, for those that have faith, I pray that the proclamation of Your Word might strengthen it and build it up and encourage them in the truth of the gospel. And for those who have no faith, who have yet to fall upon the feet of Christ as their Savior, crying out to Him in faith and repentance. I pray that You would make a way, that You would open their hearts, that Your Spirit would breathe new life into them, that they might be renewed and regenerated and believe. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you search for tenderness... It isn't hard to find. You can have the love you need to live, but if you look for truthfulness, you might just as well be blind. It always seems so hard to give. Honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard. And so sang Billy Joel in a song entitled, Honesty. I think he expresses what many people feel regarding truth, regarding honesty. In general, truth certainly seems hard to find. Deceit is virtually everywhere. It shows up in our courtrooms, our government halls, our homes, our relationships, and our very hearts. 
In fact, you see images now online and you don't know if they're even real because we can generate them by computer, by AI. Deceit is everywhere. And no wonder when it comes to God's covenant stipulations of how His people must relate to Him and to their neighbors, He requires nothing but absolute truth. The ninth commandment, indeed, is all about the preservation of truth. God says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Because to bear false witness, to lie, to deceive, to gossip, to slander, to be untruthful, misinform, exaggerate, break promises, all of that brings great harm to others and to ourselves. And lies have started wars. They've ruined economies. They've bankrupted businesses. They've broken homes. They've destroyed lives. Slander, deceit, libel, destroy justice and fellowship. Falsehoods about God and His Word destroy the very moral pattern of creation itself. And it's interesting. You don't need anyone to teach you how to lie. Ask any parent that is here this morning about how early it was that their child tried to find a way to deceive them. I mean, kids are good at it. But why is it as humans that we struggle so much to tell the truth? Why do we struggle with truth? Well, we struggle with truth because it was a lie that led to the very fall of humanity into the corruption of sin. And we have been chasing headlong after deceit ever since that terrible day. And so we need this ninth commandment. It is God's gracious intervention into our lives to speak to the deception of the human heart. We need God to preserve truth in our lives, in our hearts, because the only way we can truly know Him and enjoy His blessing, His benefits, both now in this life and eternity, is when we come to Him in truth. Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So then, what does this ninth commandment reveal to us about God? What does it teach us about His character? What kind of being would say, do not bear false witness against your neighbor? Well, it would have to be a being that absolutely cares about the truth, and that is who God is. God cares about truth because it is tied to His reputation. God cares about truth because it is tied to reputation, particularly God's reputation. In other words, God's glory. You see, God is absolutely trustworthy. The Bible is clear about that. For example, Psalm 33, 4, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His works are done in faithfulness. God never speaks an untrue word. Every promise He makes, He fulfills. He is faithful. Unlike so many of the pagan gods of human imagination, the one true God does not play tricks 
or deceive or play a game of bait and switch with his creation. When God says something, we can expect it to be always truthful. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And so since God is absolutely trustworthy, what that means then is we need to be careful what we say about Him, who He is, His nature, His character, how He acts. What we say about God must be true. Because if we say anything that is false about Him, we are slandering Him. We're slandering His reputation as an absolutely trustworthy being. You see, God's reputation is his glory, and a lying witness about him robs him of his glory. God's concern for his own glorious reputation, upheld by the truth, is to be reflected then by his creation. That is us. We are made in his image. We are to reflect his truth to one another and towards him. And so God very much is concerned then about the truth and its connection to reputation. I mean, if we're willing to attack God's reputation in any way by saying something false, by being a false witness about Him, then we will have no problem harming our neighbors and damaging their reputations through untruth. And so reputation matters to God. God cares very much about truth, and we must be truthful in our dealings with God and with each other. So much so that God in His wisdom made sure to etch upon His eternal commandments a safeguard for truth. Do not bear false witness. Now, in the immediate context of this commandment, the focus is upon the courtroom. To bear witness is to testify in a legal proceeding, in a court of law. It is to give a report pertaining to a legal matter, whether that be an accusation of a crime or even a civil matter or something like an adoption or marriage. And in the ancient world, that court originally was at the gates of the city. It was the most public place available. And they would call witnesses to that court to declare what they had seen, what they had heard. We also see in the Old Testament this language of bearing witness used in a covenantal framework. Now, a covenant, of course, was a legal agreement it is a relationship, but it is also a legal agreement that required witnesses to testify to that covenant relationship. And so the Lord affirms his trustworthiness in regards to his covenant of grace that he makes with his people. In Psalm 89, he says, I will not violate my covenant or alter, change, deceive, alter the word that went forth from my lips. 
a true witness and is vital to uphold truth and to preserve and promote justice. And this is especially true in the original context of the ancient world when God gives us Ten Commandments. I mean, there is a reason why God says that a single witness isn't good enough in a court case. There had to at least be two or more to testify that something had taken place. And also, if the result of that trial was a death penalty, those who were witnesses in that case were required to throw the very first stones in the stoning. Why? Because they needed to be sure that they were telling the absolute truth. Somebody's life is on the line. Now today, we benefit from all sorts of other forms of evidence in our courtrooms, which help verify the account of a witness. We have DNA and video and other technological pieces of evidence that can support an eyewitness or prove it to be false. But in this ancient world, a false witness could absolutely end a person's life. You could be accused of a terrible crime when in fact you had done nothing wrong. And if you had two or three false witnesses, you were in grave danger. We see this actually happen in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 21, we're told of a man named Naboth. Naboth was the owner of a vineyard which had been in his family for many generations. He cherished it. And the king of Israel, King Ahab, coveted that vineyard. He wanted it. Apparently it made good wine. He desired to make it his own. And so he offers to buy it from Naboth, but Naboth refused. He could not part with what he said is the inheritance of his father's. Ahab went to his wife complaining and pouting that he could not get that vineyard that he wanted. Jezebel, his wife, told him, well, I'll get you the vineyard. And what she did was pay false witnesses, more than one, because you had to have more than one witness, pay them to testify against Naboth that he had cursed God and the king. And under this false testimony, Naboth stood condemned for a crime he had not committed. Now, to prevent that kind of evil from being done against one's neighbor, God writes into his law the commandment that forbids bearing false witness in a court. And the aim of this ninth commandment, then, we can see, is to preserve justice and to promote truth, because God cares very much about truth. Which brings us to ask the question then, what are we instructed to do regarding this commandment? How are we to preserve justice and promote truth? What does the ninth commandment prohibit, and what duties does it require? just like the other commandments, the sin that is mentioned here, bearing false witness, is a heading, and from it, as we study the Scriptures, we learn there are many other ways to break this commandment. 
The sin that is prohibited in each commandment is usually the most heinous, the most terrible way of committing this particular sin. So, for example, murder destroys a life, but we can break the command not to murder simply by being angry against one another. The physical act of adultery is the most heinous way of breaking the seventh commandment, but Jesus taught us that simple lust in our hearts also breaks the commandments. And so while lying in court to destroy a person's reputation in life are the worst of the sins prohibited, there are many other ways we can break this ninth commandment. We can break it with any kind of lie or deceit, for they are all forbidden by the ninth commandment. Big lies and so-called little lies and half-truths and flatteries. All untruth is prohibited because all untruth is a sin against God and against neighbor. False teaching then, that is to say, doctrine that is contrary to what is clearly revealed in the Scriptures breaks the ninth commandment. God says through the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Another way a person might violate this ninth commandment is when they remain silent at a time that they ought to speak concerning a just cause. So in Leviticus 5, for example, regarding witnesses in a court case, if they had truly seen a crime committed and yet they refused to say something in the court to cover for the one who had committed the crime, they were held culpable as well. The guilt was upon them of that crime. Some of the more common ways the Ninth Commandment gets broken is slander and backbiting and gossip. What is slander? Well, it is deliberately sharing false information to harm someone else, to make them look bad, to hurt them. Now, it's possible, though, to slander without intention. You see, anytime we share information about someone that harms their reputation, who they are in the eyes of others, and that information is unsubstantiated, we don't know if it's true or not yet, we slander them. And Jesus is very serious when it comes to slander. He lists it along with some other sins. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, gossip is similar to slander. It's sharing of information with others that harms the reputation of another person, just like slander, but that information is typically true information. The problem is it's info they don't need to know. There are things that are not helpful for others to know about someone else. And why bring more shame and hurt upon a person by sharing things that you know are true to others who really don't need to know about it? Another way that this commandment can be broken, we see in the Bible, is by assuming the worst of people. 
jumping to conclusions, formulating opinions about their motives without sufficient information. And boy, in our day of social media and the internet, that is so common. You read something that somebody has posted and you assume the worst about them. So again, what we see is these sins prohibited by this commandment are many and varied. We've only scratched the surface of what is deceit. What, though, are some of the duties that are required by us of this commandment? Remember, the aim of the ninth commandment is to preserve justice and to promote truth. And also remember, there is this connection between truth and reputation. And so among the duties implied by the ninth commandment is the requirement to promote the good name of our neighbors and of ourselves. This is what Jonathan did for his dear friend David. Jonathan's father, of course, was King Saul. He sought to kill David out of a jealous rage because God had chosen David to be king after Saul. But Jonathan recognized that David had done nothing wrong. He didn't deserve to die at the hand of King Saul. And so he took the courageous step of confronting his father, the king. We read in 1 Samuel 19, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. And in confronting Saul and defending David, Jonathan is willing to put his own well-being, his own life at risk to defend truth. He's fulfilling the ninth commandment. Jesus encourages us always to seek the good of our neighbors when he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew seven twelve. You see, no one is excluded from this. Even those with whom we may be in conflict deserve our honesty and how we interact with them, what we say to them, how we treat them. Indeed, truth can bring about peace. When the people of Judah returned from exile in Babylon. They were oppressed by many surrounding enemies. And the result of that is that they were unable to rebuild the city of Jerusalem as they should have. And so the Lord sends to them the prophet Zechariah to encourage them to be faithful in serving the Lord and remembering his covenant promises. And the Lord instructs the people through Zechariah to obey the Lord in faith and they would know peace. Those that oppress them, those oppressions would come to an end. And how were the people to show their faith in the Lord's promises? Zechariah 8, these are the things that you shall do. The Lord says to his people, speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. 
Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. In other words, they're to keep this ninth commandment, and as they do that, it would bring about peace. Another duty that's implied from this commandment is that we are to fulfill the promises that we make to others, even if it might cost us. Now, of course, there are certain things that are beyond our control. We may say we will do something, and we are providentially hindered from keeping our word. And God, in His providence, according to His sovereign wisdom, guides us in a different direction. That's understandable. But when we say we are going to do something, we ought to endeavor to do that. Do not make rash promises. Ensure that you will take, make every effort to fulfill what you say you will do. We make all sorts of vows in life. Vows, when made rightly, are promises to love God and our neighbors well. Husbands and wives make promises to each other to protect, to love, to cherish, and care for one another faithfully. We make promises to our employers, those for whom we work, to complete certain tasks, to give a certain amount of time, and to be diligent in our duties. When we reunite with a church, we make vows to live lives becoming of followers of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, to support the church in her worship and work to the best of our ability, and to submit ourselves to the governance and the government and the discipline of the church for the sake of purity and peace. You see, as Christians, as part of a church, we have a covenant duty to safeguard the truth of the church through this commandment, to encourage one another in the bond of peace. And so once again, just like the sins that are prohibited by the ninth commandment, we see that the duties in which it instructs us to fulfill are many and varied, and we have only scratched the surface of what truth and honesty must look like in our lives. But as we think about these sins and these prohibitions, just like all the other commandments, the ninth commandment confronts us with the reality of our sinful human natures. And what does it confront us with? Well, the fact that apart from the work of God in our lives, our hearts are deceitful. We cannot trust our own hearts apart from the renewing work of the Spirit of God. Jeremiah 17, 9, a well-known text, the heart is what? It is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Satan brought the very first lie into God's creation when he tempted Adam and Eve to sin, telling them that if they uh, disobeyed God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they would disobey that command, they would become just like God. That was a lie. It would never happen. But they listened to it. They believed it. And since that fateful day, our hearts are given over to deception. 
We are prone to lie and to deceive and to beguile, to get what we want for ourselves, even if it means hurting others. And we believe the lies that we tell to ourselves. You see, we lie to ourselves and to God in two very big ways. First of all, we tell ourselves that we are more righteous than we really are. And that's what the Pharisees did. They assumed that they kept the law of God so well that God was impressed with their law-keeping. And to be fair, they were pretty good at it. They did cross every T and dot every I. But what they failed to recognize is what we've been seeing in all these ten of the Ten Commandments. They failed to see the extent of the commandments. That they drilled down to the very heart of a person. That no amount of so-called righteous deeds could ever fulfill the immense requirements of the law of God, that every person has broken them, every person is guilty before God. And so Jesus exposes the Pharisees as the hypocrites that they are. He says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear outwardly righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And just like the Pharisees, oh, we can be hypocrites at heart. We might look good on the outside, and we might believe the lie that we are doing pretty good. But the Bible is clear. You cannot wash away the stain of your sin. You cannot make yourself right with God And so if this morning you find yourself believing the lie that you are more righteous than you actually are, then listen to what the truth of God's Word says to you. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, we tell this lie that we're doing pretty good to suppress the truth that apart from the grace of God, we are unrighteousness. There's a second lie we tell ourselves, though, and that is this. We recognize our sin. We understand that we have broken God's law, and we tell ourselves that our sin is so great that it cannot be overcome, that we cannot be forgiven. You see, some people believe the lie that they could never be made right with God, that their sin is so great that they are far outside His saving hand. But know this, the Scriptures are clear. There is no sin so great that it cannot be covered by the blood of the Lamb that was slain. The power of the cross is far greater than the greatest of your sins. And even as believers, we are tempted to listen to the lying nature of our old hearts, to doubt God, 
to somehow believe that we have pushed his mercy too far or to somehow believe that we cannot overcome those besetting sins. But grace is greater than your weakness. And so if this morning you find yourself believing the lie that you cannot be forgiven or that you cannot overcome sin, hear Christ's words to you. He says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, who are chained down with the burden of your sin. And he says, I will. I not, not I might, but I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, the promise that the ninth commandment preaches to you is this. Jesus is the truth that sets you free from your deceitful heart. Remember, God is absolutely trustworthy, and Christ, being the second person of the Godhead, is thus trustworthy. We can believe His Word. In fact, Jesus says to his disciples in John 8, if you abide in my word, in the gospel, you are my disciples. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do you do that? How do you abide then in Christ's word as his disciple How do you know that truth that sets you free? It's quite simple. It's by faith. It's by following after Christ, by worshiping Him. You see, there's a very practical way we abide in Christ. It's by gathering together as God's people every Lord's Day to worship Him, to hear His Word, to partake of His table to enjoy our fellowship together as his people because in those things we are pursuing our faith in Christ and he is building us up and strengthening us in it, in his truth, truth that sets us free from these lies of our old nature. And so abide in Christ. Abide in his true word. Make it part of your life. Let him free you from the deception of your own heart that seeks to lie to you and to bear false witness towards others. Rest in the truth of the gospel and then seek the good of your neighbor by preserving truth and promoting justice in all things. Let us aim for honesty in all we do. You see, honesty is not a lonely word. No, not at all. Truth is found in the heart of every believer. We all possess it when we are united to Christ. And so let us be true witnesses then, making known the gospel to all. Listens to God's truth as he speaks to you through his word while you worship him. And reflect upon that truth and show it forth to the world to see that honesty does exist. There is truth, and it conquers all lies and all uh, deceit, and that truth is named Jesus. Jesus is the truth that sets his people free. 
So follow him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word once again. Be thankful for its truth that it proclaims to us that we can set, be set free from our lies and from our deceits. Help us to listen to that voice of Christ that you proclaim. May your Spirit guide us in all righteousness and help us to reflect your truth to this world and the things we say, the things that we do, how we interact with one another, how we show forth your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.